Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, as we continue our look through this passage in the end of Christ's earthly ministry, but also in working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, coming to Lord's Day 17, and the wonder of the benefit then of Christ's resurrection for us. And so let's hear these words, the end of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16. We'll read and take for our text this morning, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's also take up our Trinity Psalter hymnals, turning to page 879 in its back pages. Page 879. And to the truth, that one question and answer, 45 of the benefit then of this resurrection. And so the question simply states, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. And thus far, our confession. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as you bring us again to familiar words, familiar words in the scriptures, familiar words in our catechism, Father, we are thankful for the blessing of life spoken in all of it. He is not here, he's risen. Christ is risen from the dead. Here is the assurance not only of his completed work, but also of a blessed assurance that is ours, a foretaste of glory divine. Lord, thank you for what you reveal to us. And yet, Lord, we pray May this not simply be, a, again, a, a time of year sort of conversation or, or we talk resurrection just as a historical event, but Father, may this be truly that in your power which lives in us, the wonder of the blessing of the story that we might share. And so, Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing to you? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it seems to be a very interesting thing that the word resurrection is not just one used by Christians, but it's also taken up in a number of different phrases, a number of different references, certainly in terms of a number of themes of even fiction works that one could read, of those who have faked their death or or now seem resurrected, those that have been brought back from the dead in one way or another. People sometimes even talk about that morning cup of coffee that they've been brought back from the dead by way of that caffeine hit. And so you start to see it more and more as you look. Someone's career, you'll hear on a sports channel, has been resurrected. 
They've been brought back from the dead. And so in the same way that we start to hear other words and they start to lose some of their power and conviction, the the same thing happens. And yet the wonder of the difference in terms of the story of salvation that we share, the story of Christ that we share, is that difference in terms of who brings this thing about. Because throughout those other instances, here's this agent, this caffeine that has done this, or, or here is this person who has worked hard and had opportunity and their career is saved, or, or even in books where there's always something else. Even if they say someone's been brought back from the dead, it's through the agency of someone else, some other kind of magic, some other kind of power, some other kind of plan. But it's never the person themselves. It's never some power in that way that they're able, they always need something else. That through all the myths of history, throughout all the fiction of history, there's always something else, someone else required in order that that life would be taken up again. And yet we Christians have an opportunity within that story in giving testimony of our own life to say the same. I have been resurrected. I have been brought from death to life, but not of myself, not of my own power, not out of my own work, not out of any other agency other than Christ, Christ alone. Not just a Reformation Day truth, an always truth. And so as we come to this place in our text, there's that wonder of needing to be able to say, as I hear, he is risen. As we see the purple and we know the time of year is coming close and we know that Good Friday is coming and we know that Easter is coming, what does this resurrection mean? What is that filled with? What am I speaking? Am I speaking of it? And is the power and the wonder of that resurrection known in me. Because the world needs to hear that story. And again, not diminished by a false use of the term, but in the most sanctified, the most powerful way that we might share the wonder of a resurrection found in Christ. And so we speak a necessary story of Jesus' resurrection as a testimony of the hope of our glorious resurrection. So there's the connection. Christ has died to save me from my sins. Christ has risen that I might have life now and forever in him. That's what we need to share. And so it's interesting then how that story and how we sometimes typically tell it, but also in the best ways that we're to tell it, the command that we need to tell it, are woven through these last verses of the book of Mark. And so we want to look then and speak then even in these words of our text, of a necessary work, that's in the first three verses, a necessary wonder, and we all need to be found there in verses four through seven, and then a necessary witness, which in our text certainly isn't given, but one that we're called to in verse eight. A necessary work, a necessary wonder, and a necessary witness. Because as we consider a necessary work in the text, we recognize that necessary work at least in the way that we usually tell our story, already happened. Christ died on the cross. That sacrifice has been given. It's done. It's paid for. He even says it. It's finished. And yet for us, we need more. There has to be more for us. There has to be more of our story. And so as we consider sometimes in reading this book, 
we're not always bringing ourselves back to that place in terms of what would it have been like to be those women? What, what is the understanding amongst the disciples who are right now hiding? What is it among these women who have this work that they think they need to go do? Putting ourselves in that place where they don't know the conclusion of the story as we do this side of the cross. And so in that way, in looking at the text, the necessary work in this passage would appear to be the service of the women. In those first three verses, that becomes the driver of the narrative. Because to them, what was necessary? What was necessary was the work of caring for one who was dead and buried. We need to go and buy spices. We need to get up early. We need to pay those respects. It's why they're bound up in that question, but who will roll away the stone so that we can do our work? What's getting in the way of our work? Jesus is dead, and there's a stone in the way. And again, this side, having all of this revelation before us and being able to see it in the book of John and in all of the synoptics, we sit there and say, what a foolish conversation. Why would they make even this point in, in having walked with Jesus and having heard what he needed to do, all of the, what, what are they talking about? Why are they going to see someone dead? Why is their work so important to them? And yet even now, too often when we share the narrative of our faith, when we share even sometimes the story of the gospel, it gets corrupted a little bit with what we do, with our work. Our narrative focuses so much on that work as though our service is the way to the means of life. They're going to get to Jesus if they do this. This is how they care for him. This is how they love him. And it's just dead deeds. Deeds on behalf of the dead here, but, but that's what it becomes. As though this is going to be the vehicle to something better or to the enjoyment of something else. But work can never be the basis of life. Your good deeds can never be the way that you are brought to life. And so even here, that's the tension. We can't get to him. We can do all of these other things. We can't go there. We're not going to be able to make this happen in ourselves. And that's where we have to be brought. That's where the narrative of resurrection has to be taught. I can't provide myself new life. I can't get there. I can't be good enough. I can't work enough of that. There is no work I am able to do that could make me right with God or earn for me and restore me to eternal life. And so the necessary work... That day, in our narrative, in the way that we speak about Good Friday and Easter, it has to be that of resurrection. That is the necessary work. So while it is finished, that justification has been secured, my hope in it and my comfort in it is that he is not in the tomb. Certainly not on the cross anymore, but not in the tomb. That there is life to be found in him. And so the necessary work then is of one, and here's, here's the beauty of our story. It's in one who takes his life up again, who offered it on the cross, 
which brings from the centurion, truly this was the Son of God. He didn't just die and expire. He laid it down. And now in the joy then of the epistles, he takes it up again. And so in that work, he brings sinners, those brought into union and communion with him, those who have died to sin by way of his crucifixion, now are raised to life in him, the one who takes up his life, that we would be brought from sin and death to righteousness and life. That work is wholly necessary. That has to frame the sharing of our faith with others. It is necessary if we are to have life. Is that the demand that we share? Is that what we're calling people to? But is that known in us? That we would give testimony, that our lives would share that the work of resurrection is wholly His and it is necessary to me that I may have life. That in drawing near to Him in worship this morning, are we approaching one who is living in us, who our life, resurrected life, is lived wholly in? Or are you still about all of those necessary works that you think are yours, that way that you will draw near to him, this way that you will have life and secure future for yourself in a bunch of dead things that cannot bring life and will not last? Are you approaching one living in you or one who you say you serve but you do not claim is the only source of your life and righteousness? Why would you continue to sit here believing that this work is yours instead of believing that he alone must do the necessary work not only of death but of resurrection? Believing by faith that we draw near to one who is life itself and that the life we now live, we live by faith in that son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. How is that coming out of you? Yes, in the words that you speak, but in a life, a new life, an abundant life, a joy-filled life, an obedient life. One that gives testimony to his work. Does our story explain more than just about his death and our service? But does it extol his work? And that all of ours is in him by way of his life and power. Because hear it, by his resurrection power, he overcomes death. By his resurrection power, he makes a share in the righteousness obtained by his death. By his resurrection power, death could not hold him. The tomb and the grave could not keep him from rising again for you and for your salvation. It is his necessary work. His is always the necessary work. That even our works of submission and obedience in this life are prepared in that resurrection power for us to walk in empowered by His Spirit who raised Him up. And so are we living that kind of new life? Or are we still looking at people and shining up the things that we do and saying, hey, here's really the way that you come to goodness and life in Him? Consider your heart, for he is to be praised wholly. 
that the Lord alone is to be praised only for his continued work in you in making that life manifest. And that leads then, as you're talking in that way, as you share the story in that way, as you live the story in that way, that is going to bring those who are hearing you and seeing you, but it brings us together then even here in this passage to that necessary wonder known by way of his work and word. Because Again, no differently from looking at the women saying, where are their hearts and where are their mindsets at as they come to the tomb and they see the things that they see and, they, and they're struggling in their own work so they're not even observant right away until they get there and they're like, oh wait, the rock isn't there or it's rolled away. We'll get there. But we don't always pause to still think this through. Like, we've already done this. Like, pastor, move along. Like, we know the Christmas story. We know the resurrection story. So, yeah, we do this Advent and Lent thing, but we're already there. Do we really think it through? Every bit of his work for us. So acquainted with the concept of resurrection that we might not even feel the need for that kind of pause. But again, all of those other contexts that are using that word, you say resurrection, I mean, you could have a bunch of people thinking about Harry Potter in the last book for all you know, right? They they could be thinking some other story. What is this? What is this that we speak? What is this that we claim? What is this that is our hope? You see, it gets cheapened because we fail to stop and consider it in the fully imported wonder. We stop speaking our wonder in it. And that shows up in lives then that are just walked through the motions of what resurrection is rather than saying, I have life in Christ and what he has done for me. And so the wonder, in a very fearful way here in this text, needs to speak to us as well. What a wonder to see an angel, something alive in the place where the dead body of Christ would have been thought to have been found. They saw him placed there. They knew the story from Friday. And yet a messenger from heaven has been sent for this very purpose to announce God's wonder. You need to hear it. You need to see it. You need to behold it. His work, his will, the glorious gospel truth known in an instant. One who is dead is not here. There is only life here. Even in this grave, there is now life. And our message has to give full weight to the same. Because there are those in death who need to hear that there is life to be found. That that light can come from darkness. That there is hope for those who have been dead in trespasses and sins. We have something to speak to them. Something that they need to hear that they would come alive and that they too would come out as those found in Christ. Our story must be full of the wonder of this moment. Yes, of the sight of a rolled away stone or an angel messenger. Enough then to say, you know what? I don't need these spices anymore. My plan has gone to the wayside. What I had hoped to do this day is gone because I am captivated in the life that you have given. And I will give my life to that. And yes, that's still service and that's still obedience, but in proper order. Because what a wonder to hear that which is spoken into their moment of grief and sorrow, which then quickly changes the story now to fear and alarm. 
Because if you see this, like that's the thing, like children, when we're so used to talking about angels and we talk about the Lord and we talk about Jesus rising, like it's just very commonplace for us. Like there, there's no shock in it anymore. But if you read in the newspaper, well, we don't do that anymore. If you read online and you saw that someone had been raised from the dead, like you would stop and you'd be like, what? Or if you saw something like that, you'd be like, this, you wouldn't have words for it. Here are these women early in this morning saying, what is going on? Full bit of wonder, full bit of awe. They would be rightly, in the most sanctified use of this word, freaking out. And yet the Lord has prepared for them to hear, even at the first, a reference to their fear, a command. Don't be alarmed. In the other accounts, do not fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have no reason to be alarmed. And the wonder of this word in the Greek is that it's a word that that has a lot of range in it. So it speaks of fear and wonder, but also of distress and astonishment. It's the same word we link to, and it's the same word used in the Garden of Gethsemane of Christ's anguish. So he's wrestled through this, and now here are these women and all of these other emotions and all of this other trying to just analyze and figure out what's going to happen in a very short amount of time, and now they hear, don't be alarmed. Don't be. This is my work. And so I want you to think about that this morning in the context of resurrection. Think about it the hour you first believed. And I know for some of us in the way that we speak covenantally where I I don't remember a day where I didn't know the love of Jesus. But when that became real, real enough to say I'm going to come to the church and make a profession of my faith. Real enough to say this Jesus is mine, fully and wholly in all of my life, right? All you had known before that is death. And now you've been made alive and you've been ushered into the presence of the Lord in that way. It's glorious. You're brought into his light. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. God, your Savior, has ransomed you. And he says to you, even as he says to these women, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. That's the wonder, right? Like, this is all that they would have wanted. This life... It's all that we would ever long for, that we never would have longed for in sin, but but we have it. And he's saying, don't be afraid. I have made you new. I've raised you to a new life. I've given you a new identity. I've raised you to a new and living hope. That's the wonder of our story. And so there should be something that is alarming in that when we come to a sinner and they're like, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. But if you're hearing this and you're repentant of those things and you've come, then the message to you is do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed because Christ is at work in you by his word and Holy Spirit. And this word is for you because now in Christ you have access to a holy God. And in him, you have every reason to believe that you have life and have it abundantly. That's the wonder revealed to us as worked by his son and applied to us by faith in the working of the Holy Spirit. And so it's something for life, the life now.
And so he speaks it. Don't be afraid. You're found in him. But it's then that they hear a reference to their hope. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. You hope to care for the body of Jesus. And now you're given a greater wonder because you're given a better hope in the truth that his body is not there. You are seeking someone according to the flesh, a relationship with one you love that would usually be over because of death. But I make known to you that he is alive and he has not stopped loving you in his death and now in his resurrected life. He was crucified. Foundation of your hope. He has died to be that sacrifice for you but you are still seeking someone in your understanding of a past historical event, one who died by way of that cursed punishment, but who clearly in this moment is not forever defined or ended by that prior moment. Why? Because he is risen. He is active. He is risen. He is not here. So why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek to come near to the living in your dead works? There is no greater word or statement of wonder that has ever been spoken. He is not here. He is risen. That's what sets our story apart from every other story. That's what sets your life apart from every other life as one found in Christ because there is no more necessary statement of wonder as that and that has to be known in the story of our salvation. Because that moment is the only reason we have life eternal and abundant. And the wonder of that resurrection is that it changes everything. Nothing can be the same. Nothing can be the same about us. Nothing can be the same about our life. It can't be lived in the death of those old works anymore. You've been made alive. You will always be alive. And so we no longer look for life in dead things and dead places. We no longer seek the living among the dead. We don't look for another way of salvation, of new life, in our efforts, in our works, in our words, in our anything. Because we know it's only and wholly found in the wonder of what Jesus has done. Of what he's taken up. A living Savior who holds the keys to life and death and Hades. Who has made himself known to you in a great salvation that he has, been provi- has provided for you in his life, in his death. And now in a glorious resurrection by way of a living word, a living gospel. Even heard right then. And so he says, come and see the wonder. Come and see it, Christian. Come and see it. See where he was laid. See what he had done, even as you cannot see him. He did it all. He paid it all. He fulfilled it all so you could have salvation in life fully and free in him alone. So then go and tell. Go tell that wonder. And here's the wonder then of how that life works itself out. Tell the disciples Tell all of those hiding in fear right now of man in the world. Tell them he is not here, he is risen. Go. Go tell Peter. Go tell one who needs to be restored to a right relationship with the Holy God. He is not here, he is risen. Tell them where he may be found. 
Tell them to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near and let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, one who is not dead but who is alive, that they may have life in what he has done. For the fuller wonder is what? He already told them. He already told them. They already knew that this would happen or could have known or should have known. But here it is. In grace, he sends a messenger to remind them of the promises he had kept and of what he had already spoken to them by his word of life. All of this has happened just as he said. And so, brothers and sisters, it's why this necessary wonder serves as a call to faith in Jesus Christ and his word. Because the wonder of it is that this is the only way of life. A call to faith that must be believed. It is the only way. And yet it is the way to every kind of life and goodness and glory. So I ask you very plainly today, do you know the wonder? Do you know the wonder of a life bound up in the life of Christ? Not just what you've done, where you go, where you're sitting right now, what it looks like. Really bound up in the wonder of all that Christ has done in rising again, in having been risen, according to every promise of his word. Have you been saved and raised to new life? Does your life give testimony to the wonder of resurrection power, saving grace and repentance and faith and obedience? For people of God, a proper response to Jesus' resurrection work and wonder is going to be known then in a life lived, one that speaks out and lives forth a necessary witness to the same, and that in the last place, because it should go without saying that if you heard this news, if you saw what they saw, if you had to process the wonder that they processed, I've got to tell somebody about this. They have to hear it from me. They, they need to know. A vibrant and powerful witness of the resurrection is beyond incredibly important. And you see it in the world all around you. They need a better definition of what resurrection really means. And so in our text, it was necessary for the disciples and Peter to hear what had happened. It is necessary to us. It is necessary for all those chosen by God and precious to him. It is the most vital of witness that Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sin and rose again that we might have life now and forevermore. It must be spoken. And so now if you're going to rush right back to work, so I live it, I'm living a gospel. You know, oh, the, the gospel sometimes with words, but... It's got to be heard. You, you can't keep hiding behind the, the rest of it. It has to be heard. Not just from pastors and elders and other teachers or people who are gifted. That way. It has to be heard. Your children need to hear it from you. Your neighbors need to hear it from you. Your coworkers need to hear it from you. It must be spoken. How will they hear apart from that, from that witness unless someone preaches and teaches and gives testimony to all that Christ has promised and accomplished in his death and resurrection and reign? They will not hear it 
if it is spoken. Do not assume that they have heard it if you have not spoken it. And so how we interact with the work and wonder of Christ matters. How we speak and share concerning the life, the resurrection power, that matters. It is of the utmost importance. It is of the very nature of the gospel and of our ministry together. And in this text, it makes it plain. Yet again, it's not just a call for apostles and ministers and elders. That necessary witness has to be pouring out of you. That if the only time you're talking spiritual things is never, or maybe a couple minutes after the sermon, or in whatever other way you're going to dissect preaching after you get home, and then that's it, what are we doing? What have we heard? What has the work of Christ done in us? And is that wonder even operating in us? We have words of comfort and life, words empowered by the Holy Spirit in a resurrection witness of resurrection power. And we are commanded, we are consecrated to that witness. That is what we're to be committed to. I want you to know the life that I know too. One that isn't of me, but only of Jesus. And we are empowered with the spirit of life filled with wonder concerning all that he has afforded to us, made to know that we are found in union with a risen Christ. If this is what it is, how do we contain that? How how does it not come out from us? How does every conversation we have eventually not get back to that thing? Other than we're so busy with dead things that we're not at all consumed with or thoughtful of things that don't perish, spoil, or fade that are kept in heaven for us. We should not be mute when we have so much to say about a witness of life and truth. And yet as we read this story, even we can respond to that command and call in a similar way to the women who heard and saw that good news first. And I stand before you as one just as guilty. These women, they run away and flee because trembling and astonishment sees them. They're overwhelmed by what they saw and heard rather than resting in the good news. But we don't have to. If Christ is risen, we are risen in him. If hope is alive, then we have the opportunity and potential really always to live in that hope. We have an assurance. We have a sure pledge of our own blessed resurrection. We have it all. There is nothing else he could give to us. We have everything that a lost and dying world needs to hear. Yet we're tempted to run and flee from the command and call. Christian, hear it. You have nothing and no one to run and flee from. You have been given new life and an opportunity to go out from this place in that way of life. One that he's provided in the wonder of all that he has afforded to tell others concerning that way of life that you live. Because they have nothing and no way to take it from you. They can't do anything to you. They can't do anything to your standing with Christ. So we have every ability to be bold. 
we have no reason to run and hide and flee. And that's why verse 8 wrecks me every time. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were silent when they were specifically commanded to go and tell. And if you're going to have the audacity to say that was a command given to those women and not to us, then read the end of Matthew 28. We've been given a command. This is good news. This is what you claim is your hope and assurance. And they were silent. They had no reason to be afraid. This is good news. Neither do we. They had a great hope and assurance to hold to, but they wouldn't open their mouths. Why are we not opening our mouths? Brothers and sisters, we have no reason to be afraid. Absolutely none. That's what Good Friday and Easter are all about. No reason to fear and every reason to shout, I have resurrection life found fully in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So why do we fear man more than God? Why do we fear what that person's going to say in the circle we talk in after church because we're talking spiritual things and what got into them? Or who? What are we doing? Why do we do this? Why are we so silent when we've been given a sure command to go and to speak and to tell and to make disciples and to live by faith in that Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? We must not be silent because we have a necessary witness to go and tell of the best news of glory and wonder and power and life of what Christ has done and given and promised. So make it known. You don't have to interact with all the stories of the world and their own bits of resurrection. You have the story. You have all the benefit of Christ's resurrection as one found in him. Go tell it. Go make it known. Live out a resurrected life, not given to sin, but one given to grace and glory, and wonder, and love, because he is still able, believe this, he is still able to raise the dead to life. He is still able to bring dead sinners into union and communion with himself, to restore them to the life and righteousness that he alone can work. So believe it enough to live it, and to speak it, in the resurrection power placed in you, in the great hope and assurance that is yours, in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this word. It is true, every bit of it. The wonder and the glory and the majesty and the work all laid before us. And Lord, we confess to you that we are not always captivated by it. And it doesn't blow our mind in the same way that the hour we first believed. That we have lost sight of its preciousness, its power, its wonder, its saving purpose, 
It's gospel message. Father, help our unbelief. That in those times where we've been willing to mute the life that we've lived and to close our mouths in terms of that resurrection witness, Father, help our unbelief and increase our faith. For those that are hearing this message the first time, convinced and convicted of it, Lord, bring them into newness of life. And may we be a community, Father, in that work, in that wonder, who are committed to that witness, Sunday by Sunday from this pulpit, but in every conversation that we have, in every word of encouragement that we give, in every bit of that witness that we speak and live. Father, would you use it? That as we submit ourselves to you in true and godly fear, in reverence and awe of all that you have done for us in our salvation, for all that we have in life now, in life abundant and free, in life eternal. Father, may our lives be lived out then as amplifiers of that message. Lord, as, as billboards of hope of those living out this life of comfort and joy and peace forever together. And so, Father, would you work in us then, by way of your Holy Spirit, the wonder of that life, May that story be proclaimed out of our mouths. And Lord, as we give, we give our lives to you, we give our gifts to you. Father, for the mission of the church and the glory of your name. Father, we pray, use it all. Use it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we